You're listening to Policy Currents, a weekly podcast from the Rand Corporation. I'm Deanna Lee. And I'm Evan Banks. Every Friday, we bring you new insights from Rand's latest research and commentary. It's April 22nd. In today's episode, we'll run down some of the latest insights from Rand researchers on the war in Ukraine. You can read more about everything we discussed today at www.rand.org slash Russia, Ukraine. Russia began its renewed assault on eastern Ukraine this week. Leading up to this shift in focus on the Donbass region, there were reports of Moscow recruiting and deploying mercenaries to reinforce its boots on the ground. Writing before the war, Rand researchers discussed why the Kremlin's tendency to rely on these private contractors highlights critical Russian weaknesses. Russia's use of mercenaries stems from a known capability gap. In fact, past Rand research shows that Moscow is limited in its ability to project and sustain ground power beyond its borders, a shortcoming that has been on dramatic display in recent weeks. What's more, Russian mercenaries have repeatedly shown that they will pursue self-interest and commercial interests over state interests, and that they will abandon partner forces, and perhaps each other, when tactical risks fail to outweigh financial rewards. In other words, their involvement is primarily a money-making venture. There is also evidence suggesting that some Russian mercenaries are hired off the street with no military training and no psychological preparation for combat. These factors reflect weaknesses in Russia's national will to fight. Although Russia's apparent reliance on mercenaries may reveal vulnerabilities that can be exploited, it's also important to acknowledge that mercenaries may still present a serious threat. These forces are known for brutal tactics, including beheadings and even strapping grenades to teddy bears so that children will find them. As Rand's Molly Dunnigan noted in a recent interview, even though mercenaries may not fight effectively with the Russian military, they may be quite effective at instilling terror in the Ukrainian population. Since the start of the war, many cybersecurity experts have anticipated that Russian cyber operations against the West could increase as more and more severe economic sanctions piled up on Moscow. Such attacks could target major Western financial institutions or U.S. energy companies, disrupting the normal operations of oil and natural gas pipelines, refineries, and storage facilities, and potentially raising gasoline prices and worsening inflation both of which are already at historically high levels. As these threats loom, the U.S. government has a critical decision to make. How will it respond to Russia's first wave of major cyber attacks? Dmitry Alperovich of the Silverado Policy Accelerator and RAND researcher Samuel Cherup offer some insights. The most effective response, they say, would meet two potentially conflicting objectives deterring further attacks, but not pushing the U.S. and Russia into a conflict that leads to a hot war between the world's two largest nuclear powers. A measured cyber strike against Moscow, accompanied by a clear public and private message that the U.S. is willing to take even more dramatic actions if Russia does not back down, could be a strategy that threads this needle. 
Unlike sanctions or kinetic attacks, a carefully executed cyber attack on specific targets is relatively easy to implement and, more importantly, easy to end without causing lasting damage. While this approach is not guaranteed to stop a second Russian cyber attack, which would warrant a broader and more devastating course of action, it would create an opportunity to avoid escalation and end a potential U.S.-Russia cyber fight after a single round. The invasion of Ukraine and resulting sanctions will likely devastate Russia's economy. Before the war, Moscow repeatedly failed at economic reforms. According to Rand's Howard Schatz, Putin's decisions have set back his country by a generation, if not more. When Putin became Russia's president in 2000, he promised to give his country a chance at returning to stability. He said he would continue some of the positive economic reforms of the 1990s. Several reform plans were introduced that would have raised productivity and growth, diversified the economy, and improved standards of living for Russians. But none of these plans were carried out to any great extent. Instead, the economy was laced with official corruption and dominated by inefficient state-controlled enterprises run by close associates of Putin, all to the detriment of the Russian people. Russia did not have to choose this path, Schatz says. With its natural resources, advanced science and technology capabilities, and large market, economic reforms over the last two decades could have spurred growth and vastly lowered the perceived challenge of European expansion. And if Moscow had taken a more productive economic course, it might be facing a different future. Since Russia first launched its attack on Ukraine, the West has ramped up pressure on the rest of the world to condemn Moscow and join sanctions against Putin's regime. But in the vast Indo-Pacific region, this appeal has largely fallen flat. Only six staunch U.S. allies and partners have joined Western sanctions or initiated their own. Australia, Japan, New Zealand, Singapore, South Korea, and Taiwan. Rand's Derek Grossman, an expert on Indo-Pacific security issues, recently weighed in. First, let's consider India and China, the most notable of the region's abstainers. It's no surprise that these two heavy hitters have not taken steps to punish Putin, Grossman says. Both countries are leveraging the crisis to try to reduce the West's ability to dominate the global order. India also continues to be highly dependent on Russian weapons to maintain its military. And both New Delhi and Beijing have exploited the war to buy up Russian oil and other commodities at a heavy discount now that some Western countries are cutting imports. But what about other Indo-Pacific countries? According to Grossman, one reason so many of these governments are laying low is that the benefits of siding with the West simply do not outweigh the tangible national security benefits of healthy ties with Russia. And even more importantly, for most of the region's small and medium-sized countries, open alignment with the West might cause blowback from not only Russia, but from China, too. It's clear that the West will struggle to receive additional support in the Indo-Pacific for sanctions against Russia. That's why it's important for Western leaders to be realistic about the extent to which they'll have this important region in their corner when punishing Moscow. Even though the fighting continues with no end in sight, Ukraine and its Western partners are beginning to weigh options for rebuilding after the war. 
The West will likely be generous in providing aid, and some Russian financial assets may also be used for reconstruction. But Ukraine's talented workforce and private sector will also be key, say RAND experts. For Ukraine's part, our researchers highlight three key areas. First, improving the investment climate. Improving investment conditions in Ukraine may involve repairing and improving transport infrastructure, such as roads and bridges, and restoring damaged electric power capacity to enable industry. This could help mobilize the large-scale investment needed to knit the country back together. Second, economic and rule-of-law reforms will be very important. These reforms could include creating an efficient market for private land and establishing judicial independence with competent, apolitical judges. Third, addressing corruption. Misconduct and opaque governance have been rampant in Ukraine for years. So, reconstruction success may depend more on reforms that tackle these problems than on foreign aid. Such reforms could be a force multiplier that magnifies the contribution of private investment and Ukraine's own resources. Focusing on these three areas could help repair much of the damage in Ukraine and help the country move into the ranks of other faster-growing European economies. That's it for today's episode. Remember, you can find more RAND insights on the war in Ukraine at www.rand.org slash RussiaUkraine. RAND is a nonprofit institution that helps improve policy and decision-making through research and analysis. The show notes from today's episode are available at rand.org slash podcast. We'll see you next week.